Well, today is day three of the lockdown files, the result of the release of what we now know is 100,000 WhatsApp messages by Matt Hancock, the then Secretary of State for Health, to Talk TV's international editor and renowned journalist Isabel Oakeshott. Now, this was to enable her to write his self-congratulatory tome, The Pandemic Diaries. Now, we know day one was all about the callous way that elderly people were treated. The fact is they were discharged from hospital, they came from the community, they went into care homes, none of them were tested, and we know what the result of that was. That revealed the political priorities were put ahead of clinical need. Now, day two was about children. The fact uh, that children were ignored, the political doctrine seemed to take centre stage. It was clear that ministers were not following the science, as they claimed repeatedly, day after day, incessantly. And today, yet more shocking evidence has emerged detailing how ministers had no regard, no regard for the well-being of the public, used coercive tactics, they overstepped their ministerial briefs, they applied excessive pressure to the police, and they tried to silence critics of their draconian measures. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to say Isabel Oakeshott joins me now. Good morning to you, Isabel. Good morning. Uh, really good to talk to you. Um, well, you and I uh, know each other. We have spoken about this a, a, a great deal. I know that you struggle with this. You release this information because you believe it is in the public interest and the vast majority of people messaging me this morning agree with you. Thank you. Yes, David. Um, look, I knew that I would take a bit of a knock over this, uh, but this is about far more than my reputation and far more than, frankly, Matt Hancock's reputation. As a journalist, I'm not here to protect or save the blushes of politicians, and I don't mind a bit of a rocky ride if it means that really important truths about events that affected every single one of us get out into the public domain. Now, we can talk about the public inquiry and politicians can try to say, well, the right and proper place for all this is in due process in the public inquiry. Well, fine. In that case, let's have a public inquiry that concludes, as Sir Keir Starmer has asked for, by the end of this year. I'm not satisfied by warm words saying that this inquiry will have all the resources it needs, etc., etc. What it needs is a deadline, and it doesn't have that. So, look... In the absence of that, I think it's incumbent on those of us that have extremely revelatory material about what really happened to get it out there. Well, I, I mean, I think that is absolutely right. The fact is, as you say, they say it will be done in due process. We've spent 116 million quid. It's taken 18 months so far. Nothing's happened. No one's actually been interviewed. They've only just got their terms of reference together. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And, you know, the unbelievable volume of messages that I am getting from ordinary people who suffered and in many cases are still suffering as a result of flawed policies based on a false prospectus, all too often, as we've seen in these WhatsApps, based on what was politically convenient at the time, what they thought would make them look good, uh, their overwhelming desire not to be seen to have got anything wrong uh, suggests that this was absolutely the right thing to do. People out there are still paying the price and in today's Telegraph uh, we have an unbelievably powerful piece by Rachel Johnson. Mm. Now people will be familiar that she is the sister of the Prime Minister 
who oversaw these policies and actually the WhatsApp show had quite a lot of doubts about them himself and she writes really powerfully about what she describes as her unquenchable rage uh, in particular over the approach towards elderly people in care homes she talks about the desperate loneliness of her own mother these are the stories that are beginning to come out people in high places are beginning to break ranks mm. and admit that they too had grave concerns about what was being done in our name. I am so angry about the way we treated elderly people, vulnerable people, locking them up. They couldn't see their relatives. They died frightened, isolated, alone. Absolutely unacceptable. It seems to me that um, we were told incessantly we're following the science. Well, quite frankly, they were not following the science. It's not only that, they weren't following basic humanity. I actually don't care about what science there may be that suggests that it is the right thing to do to lock elderly people up who are towards the very end of their lives and prevent them from seeing loved ones for a year or more. There is no science on the planet that could justify a policy like that. There never was any science that justified a policy like that. People are utterly heartbroken. They will never recover from the experience of not being able to say goodbye to their loved ones. I'll never stop being angry about it. I'm sure you won't, David. And we need to ensure that this never happens mm. again. It seems extraordinary to me they were making up policy on the hoof based on WhatsApp messages. Since when is that an effective way to govern a country? Well, I can forgive uh, mistakes, and I think we all can. Um, I can understand the sheer pace at which decisions were having to be taken. And I can also understand that ordinary government couldn't take place because of the social distancing measures and so on that were put in place. And we can argue about how many of those were actually necessary, but they weren't ho holding meetings or bumping into each other in corridors or just being able to summon people into the offices they normally would be able to. So I actually have some sympathy um, for government by, by technology and they were using WhatsApp to do things fast. What I don't think is forgivable is to mix that with chit chat and um, mm. gleeful conversations about how delighted they were that so-and-so has been arrested or so-and-so has been locked up in a hotel. Uh, Matt Hancock joked about how they were locked up of their own free will during hotel quarantine. Well, actually, it wasn't their own free will, was it? Because the government harnessed the full might of the state to change the law so that people were forcibly mm. quarantined, so that people were criminalised for sitting on the grass and going for a walk in the countryside on their own. And it frankly beggars belief. And you know what? All this time, I'm still absolutely fuming, and we should be. I mean, it's extraordinary. Hancock said it was brilliant when he saw reports of people being stopped by police at airports. Boris Johnson said the news of a traveller being fined £10,000 for breaking quarantine rules was superb. I mean, clearly they were completely out of control. What I find equally interesting is Boris Johnson worried that he had blinked too soon in plunging Britain into a second national lockdown. It seems also the role of these media advisers like Lee Kane, James Slack, this has all emerged. It was all about actually the policy seems to be dictated by what the public would stomach. I mean, and isn't that just absolutely sickening? That how it worked was that the government terrified everybody. 
then conducted private polling that showed that the public was terrified and wanted more lockdown, and then implemented more lockdown to satisfy a terrified public who had been terrified by the government unnecessarily in the first place. Uh, you know, one thing I also think is very uh, unfortunate, to put it mildly, is the extent to which people around Boris Johnson, people around the Prime Minister, who himself had been pretty much blown off course by the experience of nearly dying of mm. COVID. I think we can forgive him for that, making him feel rather differently about things. But they conspired to ensure that he only got selective evidence about what was needed. And, and you can see that in the WhatsApps, you know, the um, collaboration between Department of Health and Social Care and the Cabinet Office and people within Downing Street to get the Prime Minister into what they considered to be the right place for their agendas. Um, so I think that we can cut Boris Johnson some slack uh, because he couldn't possibly have expect, been expected to be on top of everything. And people around him pushed him around. And we can argue about whether or not he should have been stronger on that. But I think that there are real questions to be asked about the extent to which they manipulated him. I know personally you've had a very torrid time over this. Uh, you've been attacked by fellow journalists. I know uh, people have had uh, a lot to say about what you did. Uh, I, I think you've acted admirably. Do you have any regrets in doing this? And also, what's it done to your own mental health? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm not going to, I'm sure everyone will be relieved here. I'm not going to go all Meghan, Meghan Markle <laughs> on you and say, thank you for asking. It's so kind of you. Um, look, I'm, I'm really tough. I've been through many controversies in my career as a journalist. I do break big stories. I don't uh, uh, worry too much about the cost that that sometimes has on me. This is about so much a uh, bigger thing than that. Um, I'm disappointed that journalists who very rarely break any stories themselves, never mind anything of this magnitude, uh, should be lecturing me on journalistic ethics when they've never had a story that's presented them with a serious ethical dilemma. Uh, but you've got to look at the big picture here. It isn't about me. It is about millions of people who suffered unnecessarily and all of us who are paying the price for a broken economy and a broken NHS. I've got lots of messages saying you deserve a medal, actually, from people here. So uh, that will uh, obviously go some way to, uh, to to helping you there. Just in terms of the way the Telegraph is uh, pushing these stories, I mean, clearly we're on day three. Is there more to come? There's plenty more to come, David. I think we'll be running this well into next week. And I think there's huge appetite for it. You know, in a sense, this is a, a kind of the start of a, of a public inquiry. It's an informal one, uh, but let's get it all out there. And if people have more information, please send it in. You know, I'm getting some amazing messages from people with their own stories. I love it. Please keep sending it to us at Talk TV as well. Um, thank you very much indeed, Isabel. Really good to talk to you. That's Isabel Oakshot, who's Talk TV's international editor.